Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we talk to Mr. Jeremy Bassett, where he shares his wisdom and his solutions on how we can bridge the gap between startups and large enterprises, i.e., marrying the little fish with the big whales of this world and all in the context of innovation. We will look at what you can do and how you can do it. This episode is sponsored by IT Labs, providing you, technology leaders out there, with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. All guaranteed. What more could you want? So let's begin. Shall we welcome our guests? From the same city and country as me, the big smoke, i.e. London, in good old Blighty, the United Kingdom. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, TC. Great to be here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to be speaking to a fellow UK lander, you know? <laughs> Come on. I'll try and turn around <laughs> my London accent for you. <laughs> I was looking at, uh, at your name and um, do you know what your surname means? Bassett. I didn't know it had a meaning to it. A sad, small, stumpy dog. Not quite. I think the the dog is named after. It's a early Norman inhabitants. It's a legacy of Norman early inhabitants, and it was about a person with low stature. Ah. You're quite, yeah. You're quite okay. tall, though, aren't you? <laughs> well, on video, I guess. Um, <laughs> that also explains why every time I send a message to someone in France, they always write back to me in French. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Audience, you've learnt something new already. Okay, <laughs> so. Jeremy, what do you do? What do I do? Well, uh, when I'm not making PowerPoint slides, <laughs> we, I mean, as CoCube, what we do is we sit in this really interesting space of helping corporates to work with startups. What we see is that across every industry, is that startups are pioneering the future of that industry. And uh, we're seeing a massive opportunity for corporates to work with startups to take their innovation, plug that into their tech stack, and not just scale the startup, but bring transformation to the corporate as well. Wow. Uh, that intersection between corporates and startups. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love the idea of transformation and innovation married together. Um, is that something that you see is missing sometimes in, in larger corporations where they try and do the two things separately? Yeah, possibly. I, I think we're going into a new era now where it won't be sort of like step change transformation, but just ongoing incremental innovation that happens every day and over the medium to long term delivers ongoing transformation. Yes. I think a lot of companies have sort of had these transformation programs as if transformation is a one-off thing, but increasingly they're realizing that actually transformation is a way of life and you could just rebrand that to be innovation. I like the idea, being an agileist myself, um, I'm obsessed by agile. Uh, My audience who've listened to some of my other podcasts probably realise that. Um, And it's that kind of continuous learning, continuous adaptation. It's it's just like, okay, what's here now? You know, what's here now and what you need to do? Agile is such a great um, mindset and approach to have towards this. So in terms of, you know, the, the context of these startups and these big, huge enterprises, um, your your platform looks to bridge that gap then? Yeah. So as CoCube, we've been operating that as a consultancy for um, several years now. And it really came out of my experience of doing this at Unilever, where I was an innovation director there and responsible for setting up this thing called the Unilever Foundry, which was Unilever's platform to work with startups. But wow. as we move forward, we're um, creating a, a platform called gopartner.com, which is a platform where any corporate can chuck up a challenge and then startups apply. 
there's been a, a few of these in the past, but the thing that defines this is we want to democratize this and make it simple for any corporate employee to put out our challenge. You don't have to necessarily go through the formal roots of your innovation team. It doesn't have to be a long and arduous um, briefing process. This is about putting up quick and simple challenge and getting a whole bunch of solutions fast. And I think if we can do that, we can start to help companies to bring the outside in in a way that they've never done before. Sure. So just to kind of clarify that, I love the idea of democratizing stuff, being a big champion of democracy um, in in lots of different forms and in businesses. Uh, So this is people within large organizations uh, coming up with a problem or seeing a problem, something that's hurting them, you know, and putting it out there into the space of saying, we have this problem. Absolutely. And I mean, every employee in every corporate has some sort of challenge. Totally. And so the current way of solving that is to perhaps consult from within or go back to their traditional vendors. But the fact of the matter is that 99% of the solutions are outside of their existing ecosystem. And what we want to do is give them a platform to share those challenges and to reach out to a wider ecosystem fast and effectively. Beautiful. And and being a great fan of um, Ray Dalio's Principles book, I don't know if you've read that at all. No, I haven't. No, no. It's a really good book. So Ray Dalio t- talks about this um, a radical transparency, and it feels a little bit like that. It's, it's being transparent about what are our issues, you know? Yeah, and you're absolutely right, because I think, you know, rewind to when I started my corporate career, corporates were very closed and secretive. Everything was like strictly under NDA. And I think gradually corporates starting to realize that the same challenges that you have at a shell are what BP is struggling with, with Nestle, Unilever and Procter Gamble are all struggling with the same thing. I mean, it's not yeah. secret that brands are wanting to personalize it. They're wanting to go direct to consumer that they're, you know, they're all on the same sort of innovation directory. Um, so they might as well be open about that and accept that number one, they don't have the answer. Number two, they can share the challenge. And number three, they're open to bringing it yeah, yeah. out of their ecosystem. I love that because, you know, it's just about being honest. And and in terms of um, organizations, uh, sorry, innovation within organizations, there's kind of two ways I see it. There's innovating for the now, okay, where organizations are right now, and they're innovating for uh, the future where organizations want to be like kind of, you know, going forward. So my first question is around the now. So in terms of CTOs and technology leaders out there, understanding how their innovations right now fit into organizations where they are right now. How can these technology leaders get that word out saying, look, we've got this solution for you? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, I think first of all, they need to innovate for the now. And I think a lot of technology leaders are realizing that, you know, COVID has literally been the best catalyst for that that we've seen in um, a decade. But The question is, how do you innovate effectively for the now? And one of the things that we are passionate about and one of the things that gopartner.com is all about is about helping to enable that in a way that's fast and effective. So, you know, in the past, you would innovate for the now by going into your traditional tech vendors and asking them what solutions might you have. You might look within your existing projects that you have internally as well and look at, is there something there that we can scale up? But what we're increasingly seeing is that startups have already invented that future and they've been working on that challenge for the good part of three to five years. So the hard work, they understand not just the trend and the consumer insight around it, but they've also built the technology in a way that is typically generally quite scalable as well. Beautiful. Normally they've got funding as well that can help them scale. So 
what we're seeing is uh, much more opportunity for a simple integration rather than having to build stuff, which means that the now can actually happen now uh, rather than in three, six, 12 months time. And that's the great advantage of a partnership based approach to innovation. Yeah, yes. I, I kind of imagine that the old further back startups had to kind of go through the process of uh, selling their product, marketing their product, creating all the kind of glossy brochures. I mean, you've got to do this kind of stuff anyway. But I imagine that the that through these kind of, you know, through these kind of platforms, you're, you're able to just get it out there. This is the, this is the innovation that I have, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and that's exactly right. We're not just wanting to make it easy for anyone in a corporate to share their challenge, but also make it really easy for anyone in a startup to submit their idea and their solution. That's right. Because one of the things, being an innovator in the past myself, I've had a few kind of uh, startup goes at startups, and I'm quite proud to say every single one of them failed, right? And, and looking back, the idea wasn't bad. The business idea wasn't bad. It was the fact that I'm, I, at that time, I wasn't a sales and marketing person, and I didn't, the penny didn't drop in terms of being able to market what I'd done. How do I get people to know that what I've done, you know, or the idea I have? Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think that's such a great insight because, you know, the biggest thing that sends a lot of startups broke is cash flow shortage. And mm. the biggest cause for that is the time it takes to get to their first customer. And the reason it's taking them so long to get to their first customer is because of the massive complexity that corporates have um, within them. And, you know, for some startups, we talk to a lot of different startups uh, in our role. And you know, they can spend months, if not years, talking to a corporate, trying to find the right person that's willing to give them a go and test their, their um, product. One of the things we do as CoCubed is we send a cake to a corporate that we've been in discussions with for 12 months just to celebrate 12 months of talking. Um, and <laughs> helps to accelerate things a little bit. I think if you don't make a joke about this stuff, then you do yourself crazy because, uh, you know, for a startup, a 12-month lead time to sell something in is, is nuts. And that's the sort of thing that sends Oh, me. yeah. I've worked for large corporations in the past. Uh, I've worked for large banks. And it's amazing how slow things happen, if they happen at all. It's like, ah, <laughs> you know, it's just really slow. And... And it, it, uh, the analogy I use is it's like a gridlock. You know, have you ever been involved in a traffic gridlock? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like yeah, that. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to move on the next exit and, right. and and it just kind of chugs forward. And eventually what happens is people lose the will to travel in the car and just get out and start walking off, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And I mean, that happens at every point of the journey of like, it's not just about finding the right person. Um, then you have to get set up in procurement. You have to get the... You know, the contracting signed off and all of that sort of stuff. And then you have to get paid. I also did work for a, a big consumer bank in the UK who will remain nameless. But the uh, four-letter acronym of that bank, uh, you know, I felt like um, basically ramming their ATM at one point because I'm like, they still haven't paid me. It's over like 120 days. And, you know, I know you've got the cash. So... <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it is. And this kind of brings me on to a subject of uh, a passion of mine. And this is this passion is in service of people like yourself and for the technology leaders, the CTOs, the, the CIOs and what have you in, within organizations, which is business agility. And this is this is speaking to that kind of gridlock. 
organizations we don't live in a world where we can plan a year ahead you know you you're talking about uh, talking for 12 months you know, i love the idea of sending a cake i'm going to steal that one by the way uh, <laughs> and, and you know so the world is an innovation storm now you know and things are just whirling around and you can see uh, the smaller companies uh, running rings around the larger corporations so it's only a matter of time before uh, this democratization of not just you know the innovations and whatever but the way in which businesses can operate is going to take these these biggies down you know so yeah. corporates out there you really need to start you know looking at this in a big way uh, so business agility for me is around getting the the different parts of the organization to have more of a flow as opposed to being siloed and and having uh, uh, checks and you need to have checks and procedures but to just make them more fluid you know yeah. um and and what I love about what, what you're describing here, Jeremy, is, is that it, it does create that flow in terms of getting that innovation going. Yeah. Business agility. Yeah. So I think we've got the platform. The next step is, as you sort of alluded to, Tissy, is corporates need to become startup ready. So they have to have, you know, simple contracting, easy onboarding, startup friendly payment terms, all that sort of stuff. And I think we sure. start to do this one step by step in terms of a simple platform, simple onboarding simple contracting, all that, we'll start to take down those barriers that have meant that your last um, three startups have all gone broke. <laughs> yeah, yes. And it's such a shame because these are really passionate individuals that really want to solve problems, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think if you can engage with them on that level and take them on a journey, they will come up with solutions that your own internal R&D teams just would not be able to develop because of you know, all of the all of the stuff that holds back internal teams from moving ahead at the same pace that an entrepreneur can move. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, I wish I'd have met you a few years back now. I wish your platform was up. I, maybe <laughs> I'd be doing something different. No, not saying that I love I love doing this work for IT Labs, but uh, yeah, it, it does seem to make make things a lot easier. So we've discussed about creating innovations for the organization now. We described about how we can get those ideas and we've already touched on it in a way this is innovating for the future so how can ctos or technology leaders know understand and learn about innovations that big enterprises need going off into the future yeah you know there's a lot of literature on this in terms of horizon one horizon two horizon three type innovation to be honest i think that is now starting to you know you start to see the cracks in that academic theory when i started in innovation in Unilever in 2009, we had a vision which was to create the future of Unilever by launching five 100 million euro businesses by 2015. So we had like a six year plan to build these, not big businesses, but you know, big businesses as a startup um, that could become the future of Unilever. And it was a bold ambition. It was very typical Horizon 3 type thinking, you know, long term, big budget, promise big stuff in in lots of years when you probably wouldn't even be around to be accountable for it and then um, and ask for a lot of money up front. I mm. think that era of innovation has been seen for what it is as innovation money laundering. And um, wow. I mean, for <laughs> us, um, we failed massively. We, we launched 22 ideas. We spent 40 million pounds uh, on those ideas. Uh, Every one of them has been shut down and discontinued. Wow. I mean, at Unilever, we called them learnings, but anywhere else you call them a failure. And I, I think, you know, like Bill Gates said, failure is your biggest teacher. And that was definitely the case for me. The big lesson from that was that Horizon 3 innovation is not years ahead. Horizon 3 innovation already exists. 
It's just about looking at how can you work with the people that have already built it and integrate them into mm. your stack. So to give you some examples, we've worked with uh, Reckitt Ben Kaiser. They created a brain supplement brand, which if you take the, the capsule, it improves cognition a little bit. But if you take the capsule with a brain gym, like a you know a thing on your phone where you place a duco and you know wake up the mind, wow, uh, improves cognition significantly. So they had the question: Do we build this Horizon Three innovation and spend you know the good part of the next two to three years getting clinical research and all that sort of stuff? Do we buy one, buy a brain gym, but that would cost twenty to thirty million, and they didn't really know if they even if it would work. So they didn't want to drop that sort of cash. And we said to them, look, brain gyms already exist. Let's look at how you can partner with one of those companies integrate it and then scale it so beautiful we talked to one we uh we talked to a whole bunch but we selected one they created a second instance of their brain gym white labeled it packaged it with nareva the record ben kaiser brand called it a nareva brain gym it was in market in six months so the whole thing went from first meeting to in market in six months so it's fast it's cheap. yeah you know, this sort of stuff costs um hundreds of thousands not um tens of millions and then so yeah. it's fast it's cheap it's also low risk because the brain gym already works and it's scalable. It's just a question of what happens when you rebrand it, which generally takes mm. risk out rather than anything else. And then the other thing is because it's a partnership, the startup is still in play and the founders are still working behind the scenes trying to work out, okay, what's our product roadmap? How do we take this thing forward? So then they go back to Reckitt Ben Kaiser and say, look, we wake people up in the morning, stimulate their mind and help them um, have peak performance through the day. How do we help them rejuvenate overnight? We're thinking about creating a sleep app that can help them have the best night's sleep. What about if you develop a sleep capsule that can help them rejuvenate their mind overnight? And so you start to get this symbiotic relationship where they're both driving innovation as well, which, I mean, it's really cool. And so I think what we're seeing is Horizon 3 innovation is moving from long-term, high-risk, big budget, all of that sort of stuff to actually you can deliver this very short-term, very low-risk, low-budget, uh, it's all through yeah. collaboration. Beautiful. I mean, that's a really, really nice story. I'm. You, you can't see me, audience, but uh, my my jaw was kind of uh, <laughs> dropping down. I'm I'm quite in awe of that because what I heard then was uh, not reinventing the wheel. Somebody's already done it. Um, you haven't got to go through the pain of bugs redeveloping from scratch. It's kind of working. White labeling. I love the idea of somebody coming and saying, "Look, I want to make some money, but I want to help you make some money as well." You know, kind of yeah. thing. And and also, I'm I'm thinking about joining this brain gym because I need a brain gym. <laughs> the other th- thing I was thinking as you were saying that the kind of six months, you kind of miss out on on sending that cake. People miss out on a cake. Yeah, that's true. We have champagne instead for that. So uh... yay, champagne and cake. That's fantastic. And I, I love this kind of idea of uh, Horizon Three being brought like to now. You yeah. know, what can we do? Yeah. It's not, yeah, I yeah. think um, in the past, it was always difficult for innovation because it was it seemed to be a compromise. Do we innovate or do we drive business as usual? Um, innovation yes. was sort of this thing that, okay, if you've got spare time and money, then innovate. But right now, we just have to get business right. What we're able to do with this new form of innovation, like what we call leveraged growth rather than organic growth or acquired growth, growth that's leveraged growth, it's growth that comes through leveraging other people's capabilities is innovation suddenly competes with business as usual. You can drive significantly higher revenue for Reckitt Ben Kaiser through partnerships than you could through, you know, discounting their capsules or through putting that money into some marketing budgets. And, you know, Reckitt Ben Kaiser, uh, 
through Nareva is now the number one brain health brand in the US. Uh, and that happened within 12 months of launching, just because of this system thinking and having not just a capsule, but a brain gym and a whole holistic solution around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that came up for me then, as you were describing that, um, when we look at kind of different sizes of businesses, the ones that accelerate and become really big very quickly, the unicorns of, of the, of it, it's almost seems like, you know, unicorns are really hard to produce. I mean, but by creating the this these synergies, they can pop up because you're you're to the market quick and it's explosive and it works and it's smooth and it's you know slick you know yeah and I, I mean this is um, good for everyone because Cognifit the brain gym that already existed would never have been able to get to that scale or become the number one brain health brand in the US in that time yes. on their own um, and recommend Kaiser would never have been able to launch a differentiated product if they just did it out of their own factories. Uh, so it's that combination that was a win-win for everyone. And, you know, uh, I, I think yeah. as a result of that, some of the biggest unicorns we might see in the near future are, are going to be these collaborations that come out of um, a startup corporate partnership. So we've kind of covered how organizations can be supported by startups for their kind of future look. We look at, we talked about bringing the Horizon 3 to more than now. The time in which they've kind of innovated and created these kind of new products is within a six-month cycle. Um, I, I imagine it could be even quicker if, uh, if, you, if you kind of streamline that. Yeah, it could be. We, we have a... Um you know, out of a lot of the lessons that we've learned from all of these different clients, we've got a 100-day process actually that takes people on this journey to identify where's the disruption, who is disrupting them, crafting a partnership with the disruptors, and then um, yeah. into a quick launch. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to take that long. Having said that, six months is still quite fast for a corporate. So um, that's not a bad time. Um, the kind of uh, idea of uh, innovation boot camps comes to mind, you know, where you just you just kind of send a, a, a load of corporates and startups together and just say, just you know, you're not coming out until you figured this out, kind of thing. But uh, hey, I don't know. Yeah. If, if ever you heard about innovation boot camps, the idea started here <laughs> with me and Jeremy. Okay. Trademark. <laughs> so this is great. So there's innovation going on. We have got the startups and what have you. A, a question I had was around. Uh, where innovation happens. I guess we're kind of stepping back a little bit now. Um, so there's innovation we either do internally, entrepreneurship, you know, or there's innovation that we bring in from outside that kind of inviting entrepreneurship. What's the kind of pros and cons of, of the two? Yeah. Is there a pro to having entrepreneurship within the organization? Yeah, there is. So the way we talk about it is build by partner. You know, if you want to embrace disruption, you can build it yourself, which is entrepreneurship. You can buy it, which is acquisition, or you can partner. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's technology innovation or product innovation, like whatever the innovation. Um, build is always tough. Typically, the first year, maybe the first few years of any new business is a tough period. It's small. It's largely irrelevant. You're sort of struggling to work out what's the proposition, how do people use it. I mean, all of that stuff is tedious and low value add. Uh, it's difficult to do that well within a corporate environment. You've got um, quarterly result pressures. You've got um, churning employees. You've got yeah. uh, internal regulation as well that just make that, that part of innovation very difficult to do internally. And that's why I don't think corporates are well equipped to build stuff in-house. Uh, that's why we are right. Unilever. And that's why we do see entrepreneurship failing in a lot of places. Having said that, um, I do think it's important from a cultural perspective to be empowering people to build. 
and uh, and it does have value. It's just that I think if you genuinely want to innovate, then it's probably not the best approach to innovation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the way we say, it, the way we talk about it, is more of a risk-based approach. So, if you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, there's a ninety percent chance that your startup will not succeed beyond the first three years. Mm. There's high risks if you go down that entrepreneurship route. If you、um, look at acquisition, so buying,、uh, it doesn't matter if it's corporate venture funds or corporate M and A. You've got a thirty percent chance of creating value from that acquisition and a seventy percent chance of destroying value. So that's this is all academia. Academia. This is not like、um, just like one company. Picking、mm. on here, so this is like across the board, and of course, some companies will be better at this than others. And then, when it comes to partnerships, we're finding that fifty percent of the partnerships that we introduce go on to have a long-term scaling impact. Wow! So, if you just look at it from that perspective, a fifty percent chance versus a thirty percent chance versus a ten percent chance, partnerships is、uh, the logical place to start. Now, what we always suggest is, if you can partner, that's what. Mm. Opportunities like Nareva with Rocket Van Kaiser and their Brain Gym.、Uh, if you can't partner for whatever reason, maybe you have to own it and it has to be embedded in your fabric, or、uh, it just doesn't belong on the outside. Then an investment or an acquisition is the next best route. And then if it just does not exist, which is a possibility,、um, you know, you can't buy and, and partner on everything. Then you have to look at building.、Uh, if you go to look、mm-hmm. at building, there's different ways of doing that. So you've got your internal teams.、Um, we've got a program which we call the Cube, which takes people on a 100-day journey to come up with an idea and launch a minimum viable product. That,、um, and that gives them a whole bunch of tools and tips and tricks that we've picked up from the startups that we've worked with. To help them build brilliant business, yeah, which works really well. And then the other way that we encourage building, I mean, that's as good for creating new businesses as it is for driving culture transformation. The other way that we do building is we bring in rockstar founders, and we actually build、mm-hmm. something for that corporate on the outside of the corporate. And then once it gets to a, a two to three years or four years down the track, once it's big enough to survive within the corporate, the corporate can exercise、yeah. an option, acquire it, and spin it back in. Brilliant.、Yeah. It's tough to do that first two to three years in house. Yes. Yeah. And、uh, and and that option is that set up、uh, upfront with the partnership.、Uh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And、uh, the that's actually really useful for attracting great entrepreneurs because they know that they're building a business. So if they can get it to let's say twenty million in revenue or whatever that trigger point is, certain refusers、yeah. or、uh, whatever, if they know that once、yeah. they hit that trigger point. That they will be able to have an exit and walk away with,、um, you know, a whole bunch of cash. So for them, you know, for any entrepreneur, you've got two challenges. One is growing the business, and the second one is getting the funding to grow the business. And what we do is、sure. we take out the challenge of funding and exits and allow them to focus 100% on growing the business,、uh, and that's normally their、um, their preference as well. Yeah, yeah. This is this is great. And in terms of the technology leaders, then in these startups, they've got the options. For me, it looks pretty obvious which one's the best one, which is the partnership. And in terms of, I mean, obviously bringing the entrepreneurs in then to kind of solve their problems. So I also imagine that trying to do entrepreneurship, they've got the existing culture of the organisation, which can be quite stifling. The politics, the what have you, you know? Yeah, yeah, and culture is. I mean. As with anything, culture is the main part of the battle here. The question, I guess, that you're left with is, 
do we avoid that and effectively take it outside the business or do we try and transform it? And I think the short answer yeah. to that is you almost have to do both. Short term, that culture is not good for driving innovation, but you still need innovation. So it probably makes sense to do some stuff on the outside. And long term, sure. you need to be moving towards, you know, as you said before, much more agile, innovative culture. Yes. My experience on culture is you need to play the long game. So that's, that's a five to seven year journey. You know, I've heard it said that for every level of management, you need a year of uh, communicating a message to drive that culture into the organization. And if you've got, you know, five or six or seven levels of management within your company, then it's probably going to take five to seven years of driving that message of agility and innovation before you're yes. culture change. So, so do do that, play the long game, and in the short term, work out how you get innovation out the door. The easy yes. is probably on the outside. I'm kind of reflecting on on this kind of entrepreneurship and, and entrepreneurship and i and i do see uh, a more energetic more creative you know innovation coming from outside in i don't know it just seems seems pretty clear to me now actually after this conversation so so hopefully um some of our tech leaders out there our ctos and cios and are kind of getting some ideas of I guess, in a way, how important they are in terms of the 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 innovation uh, space, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know the tech leaders in your network are obviously really well um, placed to be the champions of driving this change. You know what we're seeing is that this is not just an interesting experiment to run with a few random startups. What we're doing here is we're building the corporates of the future, and I think the corporates of the future are going to be, you know these organizations that sit at the center of an ecosystem and bring in the best partners for any job that needs to be done. Those partners might yes. be startups or scale-ups, they might be other enterprises. But it's not so much about amassing a big org chart underneath you with um, a clear hierarchy, but it's about you know having these um, multiple arms going out from into different sp- spaces of the network. Sure, yeah. And I think um, you know the innovative tech leaders are really well placed to be doing that because first of all, they're normally, I mean, they have a great view on where the company is going. Um, secondly, they've already got good connections outside the organization. Third, they know all about integration and, and that's a key skill in this new world. And um, thirdly, I think, you know, the organizations largely look to them for guidance and direction on how do we build this future and bring in the latest technology. And so that they're well placed to advise on that. Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, one of our previous podcasts uh, with Jardina uh, London, who's a, a kind of a, quite an experienced uh, transformationalist um, and a bit of a thought leader actually in the space. And what that's one of the things that we discussed there was is that you know CTOs they play a really they can play an even bigger uh, important role within organisations because they understand the technology. I mean, most organisations now are technology companies with a specialisation. You know, they've all got technology going on in them. So having these really clever boys and girls, uh, rather than tucked away in a laboratory just knocking out, ask uh, what what the business has been asking for, they can get in there and go, well, we've got a great idea. Yeah, this is where we could go. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a lot of the organizations that we work with, we're working with the CTO office on driving that change. And I think that's really encouraging because, yes. you know, some organizations where we we don't work with the CTO office, what we're finding is there's a lot of resentment towards IT and they can sometimes be seen as the bottleneck here in terms of um, everything has to comply with their regulations and checklists and integrations and all that sort of stuff. But um, sure. if I, I, when IT takes the lead on this, we just see corporate corporates moving forward much faster Wow. Yeah, so it's really powerful when they get behind it. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that kind of idea of these kind of conversations that are haven't necessarily been happening. They're not traditional in the past, but we're having uh, conversations now. So I, I'm trying to think of uh, HR talking to 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 uh, the CTO. You know, uh, understanding you know their problems and and sometimes the problems that they're having are actually uh, kind of ricocheting out into the rest of the organisation in weird and wonderful ways. You know. Yeah. In terms of enterprises communicating their needs out, you've obviously mentioned your your platform that you've got there. Um, are there places where technology leaders can go and share their ideas other than your platform? Are there kind of other forums as well that you know of? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in this space. And, you know, there's, um, there's all of the analog things that happen in terms of the meetups, um, all of that sort of stuff that just happens in any major city around the world these days. Um, traditionally, corporates have also had their own platform. So, you know, at Unilever, we had the Foundry. At Telefonica, you've got Weira. Um, you know, a lot of corporates have their own avenue for, corp- uh, for startups to be able to apply to their challenges. Our view of this is that's a little bit like having your own job board. It's good and you should have it. But to be honest, asking startups to go to um, 2,000 different corporate websites to identify challenges that they could potentially solve is a big ask. Yeah, and no decent startup is going to be doing that. So you often find that the quality coming through those channels is suboptimal. And then in the past, there's also been you know other platforms that uh, um, operate in this space. They're a bit clunky, and they assume that the process takes weeks, not hours. And, and that's something that we're trying to change by just making it really simple and easy for people to put up a challenge yeah. and start to embed them. Yes. And actually, that sparks off an, another question. Um, so from a, a software engineering perspective, innovation in that space, is this something that you see a lot of technology leaders uh, struggling with and getting innovation in that space? Or is it the same thing? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. Yeah, I think I wouldn't make too much of a distinction between different types here. Yes. Yeah, I, and I think the same processes more or less underplay those different types of innovation as well. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, uh, technology leaders out there with, with ideas around software are going to have an avenue now to come, kind of share their ideas. So in terms of bringing our podcast to a close, our conversation to a close, what, what would you like to kind of say to uh, technology leaders out there? Well, I think it depends where you're at on this journey. Most companies are now engaged in some way in working with startups, for example, and doing some interesting stuff in that space. If you're not, then start, get jump in the game. You know, it's not overly complex. Uh, we can help you on that. You can also help yourself on that. Reach into your local startup ecosystem, see what's there. Start a dialogue yeah. with entrepreneurs and with other accelerators or VC funds um, and, and start that journey. For most companies, though, that are already on that journey, I would encourage you to look at how you accelerate that. What you want to do here is not be the gateway to innovation, but you want to be the enabler of innovation. If you're the gateway, you'll quickly become the bottleneck. So what you need to be doing is bringing the rest of your organization on this journey with you of looking at how do you empower them to go out into their ecosystems and find the latest and bring that back in. Um, Obviously, it has to be done in a way that, you know, brings all of the benefits of the scale and stuff that you bring but and not in a disorganized way but um, but you do want to empower everyone and then for those people that are already in that space of you know we've started to engage the ecosystem we're empowering the organization what's next i would say start to push the boundaries a bit further start to look at okay how do we use startups not just solve 
you know, the challenge is here and now, but how do we work with startups on some of these more interesting business model innovation opportunities? Um, because that's where you'll start to drive proper transformation right across the company. And I think that's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah it sounds exciting. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Jeremy. It's been fascinating listening to you, your, your learnings, your wisdom. Um, hopefully our audience have got some great gems from, from the conversation. I know I have. And, um, and yes, we will have a conversation about the brain gym. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I look forward to sit kind of uh, looking at your platforms and, and, and seeing, uh, you know, how they work and, um, and yeah, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great idea that you have here. And, and I love to see that unicorn popping out, you know, one of those unicorn on. um, organizations, you know. All right. Excellent. It's great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, TC. Okay. Take care, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.